1: There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Getting in a College Coach Conversation that uh, your host is Elizabeth Heaton. Always throws me a little bit at the beginning. Um, I'm your host, Ian Fisher. It's June 30th, 2016, and I'm looking out my window at a beautiful blue sky here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, In my opinion, June 30th is a low-key exciting day. At midnight tonight, Eastern Time, we'll witness the start of NBA free agency. I don't think my trailblazers will land Kevin Durant, but I can remain hopeful. Uh, We're on the precipice of a long holiday weekend, and at least within the college coach world, July 1st marks the official day when juniors become seniors. Today is your last day as an 11th grader, if you are an 11th grader, so enjoy it because the application season kicks into high gear tomorrow, or maybe it already is in high gear. Of course, we've got you covered here on the radio show. Uh, Tonight is the official start of our Schools Out application workshop series. Our goal over these next few months is to provide listeners with actionable advice to help them navigate the challenges of the college application process. On the shoulders of our collective experience, we'll provide you with tips and assignments to help move you steadily towards the finish line. And we want to do it as painlessly as possible. We're not exactly sure where this whole process is going to go, what it's going to look like, but we're really excited to bring some of our ideas to you our ideas to you as we go. Um, as always, if you have questions or comments, please send us an email at gettingin-voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, later in the show, we're going to bring in finance expert Tara Piantanita Kelly to discuss the process of choosing a loan. And our School's Out Workshop series will begin in our second segment. But the first thing I'd like to do today is open up our office hours. Now, we conceived of office hours as a way for us to have conversations that are a little different from the typical host-guest interaction you hear from us every week. And today, we've got kind of an interesting conversation on tap My colleague, Amy Alexander, a former admissions officer at Yale and current college coach colleague, is here to talk to me about a book we both read. Um, Welcome to the show, Amy.
3: Thank you very much, Ian.
2: So the book is called The Battle for Room 314, and it was written by Ed Boland. Um, He himself is a former Yale admissions officer, just like you, Amy. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he also did a stint in admissions at Fordham uh, up in the Bronx. Um, Now, you and I sort of set out to read this because... There was a, a small portion of the book that was about Yale admissions, but we found something quite different, you know, as we sort of read through it. And you told me, you know, just as we are coming here on the show that you really enjoyed this book. What what did you really like about it on the whole? And maybe you can tell us a little bit about what it is.
3: Well, what I loved about the book um, was that here was this man who spent, he spent a very small portion of his career in admissions, actually, at Fordham and Yale, most of his career is spent with um, community-based and nonprofit educational organizations, which I think is great. I love that he's committed his life to doing that. But what I thought was even better is that he decided in working with uh, underserved and underprivileged uh, families was to go into... The Battleground, if you will, the name of his book, and actually teach in an inner city New York school. And I, when you know, you suggested this book, um, and really mostly for the him working at the Yale portion, I just dove into the whole book um, because I'm fascinated about about yeah. education, and I live right outside of New York City. But what I found so interesting was uh, were his insights, and and ha- what an intelligent, insightful, creative motivated young man and the struggles and the obstacles and the successes and failures uh, that he encountered um, and trying to find those little gems so that they can, they can go off to college and not just highly selective. I know we're going to talk about that in a minute, but just to go off to college. So it just made me think about, how most people that we deal with, you and I deal with every day, don't um, don't really even think about this population, or or really think about when they show up to high school. Really, how amazing all the resources and opportunities that they have right in front of them. Yeah. Um, and in that, yeah, that was really a huge eye opener for me.
2: I, I set out to skim this book. You know, my thought was, <laughs> all right, I got to prepare for this radio show and. Amy and I are going to talk about it on the air. And I was like, you know, I'll just skim it and get to the uh, admissions part and read that in detail. And um, I couldn't, I couldn't skim it. (laughs) was like, this is, (laughs) this is great. This is really well written. And um, I would, you wouldn't call it optimistic in any way. You know, the book is extremely pessimistic. And you sort of look at the, the book jacket on the back and he's this sort of you know, he looks like he's in kind of his mid-40s and um, seems like a guy that is really wise and would be able to handle a classroom, and most of his accounts of working in this inner city it was basically a charter school in New York City is just like failure after failure on his mm-hmm. part, and is very open and honest and raw. Um, in that
1: way, I think he
3: even calls himself a disappointment. Um, but he, but he doesn't discourage. You know, at the end, he doesn't discourage all these wonderful young kids, mostly minority and underserved kids, that that were part of this great program which he worked for for years and is back doing again, Project Advance. And he worked for them, and got these, these kids had this wonderful you know benefits of resources and support, and they got to go to pretty strong supported and structured high schools, and went to selective colleges and they came back to teach and to give and there's a wonderful, I don't want to give it away because really readers, uh, listeners, you should, you should read this. It's a, just a wonderful book. But at the end, there's a, a young man who, who comes to him for advice. And it's just fascinating the actual advice he gives them at the time. And then in reflecting a little bit later, he sends him a letter. Uh, and that part brought tears to my eyes. I thought it was beautiful.
2: Yeah, it's, it's got so many of those little gems in there, and the, the character development is really interesting. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show um, about essay writing, and one of the things that's really interesting is how open... Um, you know, Ed Boland is about his struggles and his personality and his ups I mean, you really get a sense of who he is. Now, you know, mm-hmm. he gets 200 pages to do that. And, and most students only get 650 words. But there is something <laughs> to be said for reading this sort of narrative nonfiction um, in terms of f- figuring out what your writing style looks like. And uh, he's he's really good at that stuff.
3: Well, you know what I love? I mean, that's a great point, Ian. What I love is how He was so real and authentic, and we tell our students every day, you know, I I just actually had a call two hours ago, a a young woman and her mom on the phone, and she said, could you help me? I don't know where to start, and I just said, well, let's just brainstorm for a minute, and I just asked her about herself, and there were a couple qualities that were very much just her, and she didn't think anything of it, but I'm like, just be you. Present your authentic self. Don't try too hard. Don't create all this, you know, grand, uh, whatever that you think the admissions office wants to hear. They want to hear who you are.
2: Right. Um, and, and, and reading, reading that. a lot of this kind of work, I think is really helpful because you, you just got to see how people write and how you learn about them through their writing. And, um, you know, a short piece like this is something that I think high school students can get really engaged in and learn about these stories and, understand some of the differences and experiences that are out there, It also help them become better writers. You know, you read more, you become a better writer.
3: Exactly, um, yeah. And I thought, you know, and I don't know if you want to jump into the Yale part, but what I found so wonderful was how real he was about, you know, working in the admissions office and, yeah. you know, the review process, what he read, what was important. Kind of a, he was almost, this is a wonderful book for someone to read, like for all the reasons we discussed. But he really does reveal to the reader, so students, if you're going to read this, really what is a good, strong essay, what reaches the admissions office, what speaks to them, and then what is, you know, kind of the, what backfires, you know, the too clever, the too familiar essays. And I thought that yeah. was wonderful how he presented that.
2: It was pretty cool. And we, you know, when we first came across this book, it was, um, I think it was the New York Post had an excerpt of it. And I read the excerpt and was like, oh, this is great. I can't wait to pick up this book and learn all about the Yale admissions office. But in fact, it's just these you know, five or six pages in yeah. one chapter of the book where you know, he takes some of his students, uh, he's the sponsor of the Model UN team and he takes them to Columbia for a tournament, and that sort of touches off a conversation around Ivy League admissions. And so we should we should talk a little bit about that because this is ostensibly an admissions podcast and not not a book club, <laughs> but um, as excited as we are about the book. and You know, I I initially reached out to you because I know you worked at at Yale as well. Um, And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the process that he talks about. Um, You know, he talks about these like light switches and you push up and it turns green and you push it down and it turns red. And if you've got two out of eight red votes, you're not getting in that kind of thing. Um, Did you have a system like that when you were at at Yale? Is that that seemed kind of far fetched? Like what, what did it look like to you?
3: Well, I was, I'm a little older than him. I was there before, before Ed. Um, but the system hasn't changed that much. I mean, it, technology has helped it advance and the way they do it is a little different. But the similarity is that we basically had cards, you know, a little red card, green card, you know, I think it was a white card. Um, so you kind of, we were all discussing and we'd get heated and, and I should just make a note here, we discussed Some candidates, some you kind of went across the page and just said, it's not going to happen or it's a definite admit, and we can get into that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But uh, if we got into a heated discussion, it was the dean would say, stop, time to vote. And we would. We just kind of put up our card and we'd count. Um, And if it was tied, it was a wait list and um, there was an admit or reject. And, you know, not to get too much into the process, but... Sometimes a little later on, those could be changed before the official letters went out. But that was often how it happened. It really, really was just down to that. And what I loved is, um, you know, Ed brought up, if I can find it on the page, um, there was a wonderful young woman that uh, the alumni, uh, the Yale alumni interviewed in New York City. She was from an underserved population, just phenomenal, great credentials, merits. uh, And he said, Um, There was a long debate about her merits and careful consideration of the dozen or so other applicants from her school, each of whom could likely excel at Yale. In the end, she was muscled out out of the running by some superstars in her class and put on the wait list. And the alums, of course, were furious. But I can't tell you how common that was. You know, there's just so many strong applicants. They can't take them all, and the alums just didn't seem to understand that um, you know, their little bubble was just that, and they were looking at people from all over the world. But that happened quite often. And, you know, the other thing I did want to bring up is you do have to think about school group. How we reviewed applicants was often based on a, a printout, a page of uh, school groups. So based on your high school, then your county, your state, um, that's how it was often reviewed.
2: Right, and, and a lot of this compared.
3: stuff... Or not that you're comp you are compared, but not that you're competing against. I mean they could take eight great kids that, that year or none. So people do get nervous. Oh there's two superstars much stronger than me so I won't get in. They might take three that year. It's unlikely right. they're gonna take everyone. But just but to if, make it, make sure that you understand that.
2: Yeah, so if you if you're just you know, not as academically talented or your curriculum is not as rigorous as two or three other kids in your school, you really have to have something extremely compelling that's going to make up for that difference because they can very plainly see those other two or three kids in that school group. Um, And and that's sort of how the the school group thing kind of works out. I like what you said about the, you know, the alumni involvement. Um, And you said that the two alumni they had, they talked about, um, Emanuela Gutierrez was the person that they had talked about. And uh, Ed goes on to write that she ended up like running for public office and she was the <laughs> Lieutenant governor of New Jersey. She had gone to Columbia. She couldn't get into Yale, but she went, she got to Columbia. Um, and uh, you know, the the alumni were sort of like, yeah, this direct quote was for Pete's sake, your office is sending us mixed messages. You tell us to find gems like Emanuela with atypical backgrounds, but then you don't accept them. What gives? Yeah. Um, and you know, I think in there you see two important things. The first is, this is just a really, really selective process. And you can have somebody who has the talent and capacity to run for public office and get elected, who might not get in because of a competitive applicant pool. And then the second thing that you see is the engagement of alumni and the power of an alumni interview. And, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not necessarily as consequential as I think a lot of alumni think it is or as mm-hmm. a lot of students think it is. And students really hem and haw and stress about these alumni interviews as though they are the big clinching deal for the admissions decision. But, you know, you and I know that from our work in admissions that those alumni interviews are just a small piece of the overall puzzle. Can you talk a little about your experience with the alumni interviews with with the Yale process? Yeah,
3: That's a great, great point because it it really is. I have kids coming to me now. I've been doing this 21 years and kids coming. Oh, I have my interview with Yale. I have my alumni interview with UPenn and they're so worked up. And I'm like, really, it's, I try to, you know, allay any fears that it's really informational. Uh, A lot of reason they do this is for PR. Um, alums at these schools are very connected. some give quite a bit of money, so they feel like they should have weight or they like to stay involved. They go back and go to reunions, and they want to be part of it, and they want to share this love and connection they have for their school, so they continue what's called an alumni schools committee, and there's large alumni schools committees with a lot of the Ivy and similar schools in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic, and uh, they you know, schedule an interview the minute you submit an application. But I can tell you in the admissions process, what we considered it, it was a flavor. It was just a little bit of a flavor. If We needed to Mm. help flush out an applicant. It kind of, you know, it helps if it was consistent with what else was said, you know, through the essays, the recommendations, the extracurriculars. Then that was great. It solidified. It cemented. If it was a little different and something else came up, we were like, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe we have to dive in and find out more about that. It was more informational. It never would put a kid into a class or keep a kid out of a class unless something horrible, offensive, or otherwise, you know, occurred. Rain. Rain. That was rare. Um, it really, it's, it's, it really it has minimal, minimal weight. And we would tell the alums this. But they still would continue. We'd get people, you know, I have a good friend who runs it in Tampa, Florida. And he'd say, I don't get it. I have these three wonderful girls. And I'm like, Shh. and there's, you know, 26,000 from other parts of the world right. that are also wonderful. So yes. um, it's, it, it is very hard. Um, It's great that alums are so involved, and they hold receptions, um, and they interview, but, you know, students should really just do it relaxed, ask some questions, it's informational, and it really, I just consider it as like a little bit of an additional flavor.
2: Yeah, there was a a viral article that went out that was posted on Gawker.com um, a number of months ago. And it was, you know, somebody sort of said, I was a Harvard gatekeeper and I have all the secrets. And as you dig, dug into this article, you sort of found that this was just an alumnus who was an interviewer. And, oh, you know, there, there wasn't necessarily this sort of detailed understanding of the process, but instead just interviewing and, and writing these um, recommendations for students. And the admission office can choose to take those recommendations or not. It's sort of, they're looking yeah. at the whole pool and they can see the whole pool. Um, and there was, you know, another piece that he noted, which was, You got all these letters of recommendation on fancy stationery from you know impressive people, but that that didn't necessarily matter. It was more about the content of the application as opposed to these these uh, you know fancy letters of recommendation on. You know, yeah, that's a
3: really good point. So a couple things there. One is, and I do remember those coming in. I remember the, the letter handwritten on a governor, you know, stationary, or I think Ed Boland also mentions in his book, you know, it came from the stationery of, of a, a house that had a name, you know, on Nantucket or Cape Cod or whatever. Um, and it was often those that came in, they're like talking about the parent that they know or the cousins. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, when I was at the admissions office, we had a running joke at the end of the day at 5 or 5.30. Now, that was not the end of my day. I went home, had some dinner, and then right. maybe read till 1 or 2 in the morning during reading season. But we'd right. have this running joke, you know, how many did you get? And what we were f- referring to is how many recommendation letters did you get where the person really doesn't know the student at all? And, you know, one time someone had four four sent in one application. So I have to tell students it left a bitter taste rather than it being helpful.
2: That's, Much and more that's important. hugely helpful, I think, I think for, for people to understand just what really stands out in the application. And we've got very little time left, but I want to read this passage that you and I both really liked because I think it zeroes in on kind of the core of what really stands out in an application. And so he says, the applicants were an impressive lot, A girl wrote a brilliant feminist essay worthy of Harper's remake Mm -hmm. about gender and socialization, revealing that she was a phantom serial farter in public, and yet no one ever suspected because of her gender. An aspiring art major sent in a dazzling poster-sized pen-and-ink drawing of himself suspended high over the campus on a pair of gymnastic rings, his body forming a perfect Y for Yale. A Vietnamese refugee wrote about finding solace in a school in Nebraska after a near-death experience as a boat person when he was six years old. They all waltzed into the freshman class. Um, and you know, for me, that really shows, I think, the level of accomplishment for students at highly selective institutions. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I want all aspiring students who set IVs and other you know, really selective schools as their goal to understand just the level of competition that you're up against.
3: One thing I want to add from the book, and I also think it's very important, and and when I was at the admissions office, this was something that could tip a student in. If they had the creds and everything else, you know, on the next page from what you just read, they were talking about recommendations, and it says, AP English teacher, Yale class of 79, says she is the most original thinker she has ever taught. Not just a rara rara avis, but a rarissima avis. I can't tell you... When we would get a recommendation that said, she is one of the most original thinkers, or wow, she thinks so outside the box, or she actually inspires others and provokes others to talk and start conversation or discussion in class, that's what we're looking for at a selective admissions office. You know, when you when it's important to look at how many teacher recommendations are required versus allowed, and students send tons in the additional, know who is going to actually advocate for you and say how you are different, why you're special, why you're unique. That's what's truly important. And just mm-hmm. like you read with the essence, all of that is, is really what sets kids apart in those particular pools.
2: Great. Cool stuff. Thanks for stopping by the office hours today, Amy. I'm glad you took the time to read this book. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I think our listeners could get something out of it as well.
3: Me too. Thank you for recommending it, Ian.
2: Of course, up next, our office hours continue with the start of our Schools Out application workshop series. You won't want to miss it. Stick around.
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com your child down the road to the decision that really matters the one in the envelope that says yes visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting in you count
1: tune into interrevolutionary radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who like you are changing our world from the inside out
2: Welcome back to the show. My next guest is Kira Tyler, formerly of the Brandeis Admission Office, currently of Chicago. Always awesome. Kira, it's great to have you on the show.
5: <laughs> Thank you. What a nice introduction. <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. So what I'd like to do, um, you know, we're back in our office hours, is, is talk to you a little bit about how we get started on essays. It's, it's kind of a hard thing to do, right? Um, a lot of students don't know where to begin, if you're out there listening, you think you can never write a great essay, um, I want you to know that you're not alone in being really worried and, and lost uh, in this process. Um, and at the end of the segment, Kira and I will each share an assignment we have for you to help get your creative juices flowing. But I just want to get started talking about brainstorming um, and maybe ask you sort of a, you know, a, a question around tone, which is how do you help to relax your students? You know, th- they know the essay is coming up. They know they're going to start the process of brainstorming. It's pretty transparent. How do you help them to sort of feel empowered around this process? What are some words of advice that you give them around essay writing?
5: Sure. So first I remind them that it's not that long. I mean, you know, for students that at this stage, right, are are used to writing multiple pages of researched uh, papers, you know, 10 pages, 12 pages, whatever, you know, imagine the longest paper they've written. I'm like, an essay is a quarter of that at the most, um, and so, or, or even fifteen percent. So, you know, reframing it so that people understand that one main essay, we're talking about a common app essay, is a max of 650 words, and right. you know, most students can hit something effectively around 500 words. So we are not talking about something that occupies a lot of room, nor does it involve research. Um, so, reminding them of those couple of things, I think automatically I see the shoulders, you know, come down, we take a deep nice. breath, you know, we move on. Um, I also remind them that it's a portion of the application. It's their now. The stakes can be very high, but that other things, you know, still are being considered. So, it's not just that uh, their future is made on the essay. That's not entirely true at all. Um, and, you know, what I'm helping them brainstorm is I have the luxury of time, which at this point, you know, we still do to some extent now. I don't want people to get too comfortable because it is June 30, and we are going to you know, people are going to need to start doing this, but, you know, we still do have a little bit of time to play and to stretch out and to try things and to try on um, a few different um, essays for size. So, I really just talk to them, you know, mano to mano, so, right, so it's... Tell me how you love to spend your time. Who's your best friend? How long have they known you? You know, easy peasy things like that. We have a conversation. Um, If I know them well and I worked with them for a little while, something may already have popped off that we may have filed away for later. And so now we're coming to talk about it deeper. But um, I try to make it as easy as possible. We just sort of talk and we see what things come up.
2: Yeah, I do a lot of that that as well. And I try not to mm-hmm. even warn my kids that we're going to be doing brainstorming at the next meeting. I'm just sort of like, right. come on in, we'll just start talking. And, and I think, you know, they're sort of like, I'll say maybe halfway through, do you have any idea what we're doing? And they're like, well, you're just getting to know me, right? And I was like, well, yeah, but we're also, <laughs> that's the point of the essay. And And, right. you know, you mentioned that it's shorter, but it also... You can't stuff it full of quotes. Um, you know, it's not an sure. argumentative piece. It's it's very much comes from you, from from who you are, and and everything is sort of original content with your tone, and um, that's that's something that I think students get a little bit worried about. Um, and how do you help students to address this problem of talking about themselves? Right, the, the essay is about themselves. They may have mm-hmm. to brag a little bit. They certainly have mm-hmm. to take credit for the things that they've done that are good. Um, mm-hmm. How do you help to break down that sort of hesitation students have around writing, you know, about themselves? Yeah,
5: sure. Well, the first thing is, you know, when students are hesitant and, you know, I'm sort of like you in that I try to be, you know, very inconspicuous about when we are going to do some brainstorming and that oftentimes this just comes up in general conversation. I do sometimes have those students and it happens, you know, as time passes and we get closer to fall of senior year, who are like, we need to brainstorm. We need to. So then it, it becomes an event, which is not my favorite. Um, right. you,
2: you want know, to sneak but, up on him a little bit. You want to, you yeah. don't, you want to catch them by surprise. We, we're talking that's about our right. essay. What? Yeah.
5: Yeah, that's right. And so, um, gosh, Ian, I forgot your question. <laughs> uh,
2: how do you help students to get more, you know, have a little bit more ease about writing about themselves?
5: Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, in terms of trying to make it easy, because you're right, it can be really difficult and if people are stuck in sort of a, um, an AP lit or an English uh, 11 mode of writing that's thesis and conclusion, and it's just very regimented, that really the first step is you have to try. Just try. Um, yes. And nothing bad can happen. And if you're struggling... Let's set a timer for 30 minutes and you just write. Um, Sometimes I also, um, I have noticed that, you know, and this isn't really commentary on, you know, their generation, but I'm a big reader. Um, I always have been. It's a real pleasure of mine. Um, There's almost not a free moment where I'm not trying to grab an article or a book. Um, I really enjoy it. And um, some of my students are readers, but um, they read... You know, a lot of like science fiction, or, you know, uh, a couple years ago, it was like everybody was reading all those dystopian novels and. Um, that's not really what we're looking for, right? So I always encourage people, is there a memoir you've read? Do you read blogs? You know, I try to inspire them to start reading some more personal writing, um, you know, personal essays. Um, and if I have any that I enjoy that I think are appropriate, I will share it with them so that they can capture that tone. And it's a nice way that people can understand how you can gracefully write about yourself without seeming you like you're bragging, um, yes. you know, or, or the tone is off. You know, that's really yes. what people are afraid of. I also tell them, listen, this is part of the reason why I'm here is that I can help you. I'm not, we are, I'm not writing it for you, but I can certainly help you understand tone, and mm-hmm. you know, that is sometimes. Um, an easier fix
2: than they think it is. Right, and, and we're here to, to help you, you listeners out there to, to understand a little bit about how you can work through this process. And we, we can't necessarily review all of your essays, but I think that this point about tone <laughs> is really exciting and interesting because there are people in your life who know you, and they know what you sound like, and they know the words that you tend to use, and they know whether you're funny or not. And so they can <laughs> identify as you're writing this essay, does this sound like you? And you can also do that. I mean, after you write something, sit back and look at it and see, does this, does this really sound like me? Um, there are a few books out there. We actually did a blog post, um, a couple of months ago on useful creative nonfiction. If you want to learn a little bit more about this kind of narrative writing style, um, Bill Bryson is an author that does a lot of travel writing and he's got a really strong tone. Um, you can, he's very funny. Um, you shouldn't necessarily try to be funny, but he's got a great sort of narrative style. Um, There's a really new book called "When Breath Becomes Air," which is a memoir uh, by Paul. Have you read that?
5: It's beautiful. It's It's, beautiful.
2: It's wonderfully written. It's very. It's not overdone. Um, It's just simple and straightforward and powerful, Um, and short. I mean, you could read it in a weekend. Really short. Um, I also
5: love. You know, my counseling side is like, listen for all you people who want to work in science and be, you know, contribute to the health. Um, profession. Wow, here's someone who also had a real appreciation for the humanities and art and, you know, language and a real yes. gift. And I, I love that, too.
2: Yes. And and seeing that power and being able to communicate ideas is really inspiring. And, you know, I always felt like I wanted to sit down and write after reading really great works, because I, I start to think, well, what what's occurring in my life that I want to share with this same kind of you know, clarity and, and strong prose. And I think if you're feeling like you're a little bottled up and don't know how to start writing and don't know what to write about, grab somebody else's work and read a little Mm -hmm. bit from other people to see how they Mm -hmm. do it. Um, I think that that can be really, really helpful.
5: Agreed, and you know, try. Let's just try to not be so fearful about it. It's going to happen, um, sure. and it's likely going to be great. It's you know, the the goal is not the next great American novel. We are not looking for that. You know, I'm putting on my admissions hat. We're not looking for that. We're just looking for the student's best effort and something that does them self justice in terms of getting out um, and getting across their who they are and what makes them special.
2: Right. Now, I don't know if this happens to you, but I have a lot of students that come to me um, with this idea, like we're going to talk about essays and they, they think that the essay needs to be about something specific. They're like, you know, my parents got divorced, so that's what I got to write about. Or right. um, I haven't had a hardship in my life. I can't write an essay. Um, can you talk just a little bit about how students should think about identifying a topic, what it is that they're kind of looking for? as they zero in on what to write? What what sort of is a clue that they found it?
5: Sure. So, you know, that's sort of a little bit of a pet peeve of mine when people come in and are like, gosh, you know, I went on this mission trip last year, which I think is awesome. What a great experience. And I've been saving it up to write about it because I think it's going to look really good. And I'm like, no, 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 not sorry. No, he's not. Um, You know, and instead... I always really encourage people to think about it backwards, right? So what Mm -hmm. I would love as an admissions officer is instead of feeling like I'm being manipulated and you've thought, oh, I have to write about this because it puts me in what I believe is the best light, which I believe an admission officer needs and would appreciate. Rather than do that, let's think about it backwards, right? So let's think about some things that that the student really loves about themselves that they find to be interesting that describes them. Let's see if there's a common scenario and come up with um, a topic around that that works. So, um, you know, that's sort of my favorite thing is let's let what we would like the reader to know about us speak first and then mm-hmm. let that lead us into what the topic will be. And I would say 90% of the time it's a totally different topic. And when they came and they said, I want to write about my parents' divorce or, you know, when um, my, my, whatever, whatever it may be, I didn't make the volleyball team.
2: And, you know, I'm using these not just as like random examples, but as like these really happened. And these happened to me like this week. I had, I had a student that came into my office and she had already written an essay about a trip to India and she was talking about it and sort of said, this doesn't really sound like I don't like the tone. I think it's overdone. I was like, great, because this is not a great essay for you. Um, yeah. And we we ended up, she had volunteered on a political campaign and was really excited by it. She loved canvassing and going out and talking to people. She was like thrilled to, to talk about this. And she lit up as she was telling me these stories. And I said, this is your essay. And she said, well, I went to India. Like, isn't that what I need to write about? I said, absolutely not. No. No. <laughs> you, you, you should write about what it is that makes you sort of come alive and feel excited. I
5: know I would agree. And I, I encourage students, let's think about some of the quieter moments, right? It's like life is lived in the, in the small, in in the small moments between the big happenings. And so I really encourage people to do that. Right. So, she probably went to, to volunteer on the political campaign and became part of her, you know, usual routine, but she thought, oh my gosh, the big kahuna is this trip to India. Clearly right. not recognizing that that uh, that's not really giving us, you know, enough of who she really is, It's not really showing us her fabric and what makes her special. That's like one big special thing. We want to know what really got you jazzed up what made your eyes light up what couldn't you stop talking about you know to your friends and what made you really proud to say you were a part of it's those kinds of things
2: yeah I think that that's that's right on and it's it just that tells us more about who you are the day-to-day as opposed to this big event and it's something that you know, shows how you interact with the world as opposed to, you know, what happens around you. So it's more That's about right. you making your mark as opposed to something impacting you. Um, That's and right. there's, a, there's so a difference there.
5: I would agree. So if I could, you know, slyly insert, you know, a little PSA to and scandal appearance, if you are planning on having your student do something because you thought it was going to be great fodder for their college, you know, essay, and that was number one, two, or three to do it, don't do it. You know, right. let go of that expectation and see it if it's still so useful. Of just a great experience, and if it has some legs, and they get something really interesting out of it, it makes sense because it's you know helping identify who they are. Great, but if not, let let it go.
2: Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about. Let's get down to brass tacks here. Um, Sure. I each have an assignment that we want to present to our audience. Um, And, you know, you can go ahead and and pick one or both of these assignments to do. Um, Kira, why don't you go ahead with what your assignment is first, and then I'll give mine.
3: Definitely.
5: Okay. So mine is, um, you know, for all of you students out there, and I really do mean students. I don't mean parents really sitting down with their kids and doing this. Let's try to make this something that they own. Um, I would like the student to sit down and brainstorm five attributes about yourself that best describe you. Um, you know, what I'm hoping to avoid, actually, the hard and fast nose will be you cannot use what have become overused terms um, of determined, perseverance, and hardworking. Those are off the table. Those are not up for discussion. Um, But anything else is fair game. So if you're a reader, if you're a lover of skills, if you um, you know consider yourself to be the original Mother Nature, I don't care. I don't care what it is. Um, If you're a foodie, whatever, let's think about five attributes. Once you've done those, let's try to think of a scenario that encompasses at least three of those attributes. Once you've found that, right. To start writing, um, a couple of things to consider. This, is, you know, what you're writing is for you and nobody else. It's an audience of one. Hmm. Number two, it should be from the past four years. So really try to avoid anything that happened in second grade.
2: Please.
5: And finally, how has it contributed to the person that you are today, yourself, as you present yourself as a candidate? Um, to X, Y, Z
2: colleges. That's my assignment. Perfect. That's a great option. I, I really love that one. Um, Thanks, Ian. My assignment um, is for students to, to make three lists. And you can do this on paper. You can go ahead and get a, set up some columns on a, a Word doc or a Google doc, whatever is going to be best for you. Um, and the three lists are going to focus on three different areas of your life. One, what are the things that make you happy? That's simple. What makes you happy? You can say your puppy. You can say the rain. You can say reading terrific books, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It can seem inconsequential. It can be a full sentence. um, But just get as much out there as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Second, what are the things that you're proud of? And so these are things like your grades, um, maybe, you know, certain accomplishments that you've had in school. They could be things that are a little bit less tangible, like the relationship that you've developed with your younger brother or with your mom. Um, It could be a time when you overcame something. It could be your singing ability. It doesn't matter. Something that you feel proud of. Get as much out as you can, um, as many items on this list as possible. And then the third thing is a list of things that you want an admission officer to know about you. So if you were able to go into the room where your application was being read and stand there and talk to the admission officer while they're reading your file, what are the things that you want to make sure that they understand? Um, Whether that is a hardship that you've experienced, whether that is something about your personality, some sort of grit, um, some talent that you have that may not come through in the rest of your application, what do you want an admission officer to know about you? So make a list of these three things um, or make these three lists. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit next week about how you might use those lists to get started on the writing process. Um, and we'll also come back to Kira's assignment and think a little bit about how you can identify a topic that's really going to work for you. Um, does that sound good, Kira? Yeah,
5: that sounds great. And Nice, nice suggestion.
2: Awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. If you're a student, get to work on these assignments, uh, you can do both. You can choose the one that feels more, most fruitful for you. Um, just go with whatever feels comfortable. Um, Kira, thanks for your grace and expertise, as always.
5: Thanks, Ian. Really fun being on.
2: Awesome. Uh, that does it for our office hours this week. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. When we come back after the break, we'll be talking student loans, so don't go away.
4: your child down the road to the decision that really matters the one in the envelope that says yes visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in
5: have you found the beauty inside of you join bonnie bonadeo each week for beauty inside and out we'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives our guests are makeup artists hairdressers and doctors But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
4: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: are listening to getting in a college coach conversation to reach elizabeth heaton or her guest today please call in to one 472 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com now back to the show all right uh, my next guest Tara
2: Piantanita Kelly was on the show just two weeks ago, last time I hosted, and I think last time she was out by the pool answering questions. How's the weather today, Tara?
0: You weren't supposed to tell them that either.
2: (laughs) I'm sorry. i you. you sound great. How's everything? Uh, how's everything?
0: Uh, yeah, it's fine. The weather's still good. It's 81 here in New York, and we'll we'll take it any day that we get something like this. So,
2: <laughs> awesome, awesome. So today we're talking loans, um, and this is actually I think a really interesting topic. We had a great conversation in College Coach last week at our team retreat, talking all about loans. It's a big nationwide issue. And so I, I think a lot of students and families are really interested in finding the best loan program, right? They want to uh, try and put themselves in a position not to be sort of buried by debt. So let's start. Let's talk about these loan options. Is, is there more than one educational loan program? Do we have an option?
0: Yeah, actually there are quite a few uh, different loan programs and they vary based kind of on, on who can borrow them. So uh, let's say you have um, an undergraduate dependent student, they can borrow on certain programs and their parents can't. And then there are programs that their parents can borrow on that the students can't. Um, and then there are some that are specifically for graduate students and some, you know, and then there's kind of a, a a mixture where you have the student borrowing and the parent is co-signing. So, you know, we have federal loans, private educational loans. Um, some schools have their own loans and some states also offer educational loans. So yeah, there's there's a there's a bunch to choose from.
2: All right, so a huge number of options. So what are the programs that if I'm a typical dependent undergraduate student, I'm graduating, I'm, I'm still a dependent for my parents, what are the options that I can take advantage
0: of? Well, the, the most popular one, the most typical one is uh, – It's the morphed version of the old guaranteed student loan. You know, we all remember the old guaranteed student loan. Well, it's kind of Mm -hmm. still around. It just has a new name. It's called the Federal Direct or the Federal Direct Stafford Loan. So um, dependent undergraduate students will often see these on their um, financial aid award letters. Uh, But there are loan limits associated with that. So the the typical dependent undergraduate student who goes to school for four years can only borrow a total of $27,000 on that particular loan program. So if they need to borrow more, they need to look. At another program, there's um, the Federal Perkins Loan Program. It's been around for a long time, but it, that program is dying. It's been it's been it's this last dying gas. So don't you probably won't see that on uh, award letters uh, this year or much in the in the near future. So don't don't count on those either. Um, yes. So if a dependent undergrad needs to borrow more than let's say that twenty seven thousand dollars. They can look to private educational loan programs, and that can be from a bank or a credit union or a lender. And since those loans, they're not federally regulated like the federal direct or the federal Perkins loan, you know their rates and terms are all over the place, and mm-hmm. the students will usually have to have a creditworthy cosigner uh, in order to get one of those loans.
2: So um, just in terms of how these loan options become available, you mentioned in your financial aid package, you can kind of see them. And I remember when I was um, uh, admitted to graduate school, I got a printout of different loans that are available. Is this something that typically the college will uh, put together a list of those loan options and present them to the student? Or does the student have to go out and find these kinds of loans?
1: Um, well, it's kind of a TV.
2: combination
0: of yeah, combination of the two. The the school will usually put the student's federal direct loan eligibility on the award letter. Um, that's fairly typical not all schools do that but um, it's fairly typical if the school still has federal Perkins loans that they can mm-hmm. offer uh, they might put that on the award letter as well if it doesn't show up on the award letter the student can go back to the school and say hey you know am I eligible for a federal Perkins loan can I borrow a federal Perkins loan in addition to my federal direct loan um, most schools won't put a private alternative loans uh, you know eligibility on the award letter um, if but schools will oftentimes put the federal parent PLUS loan uh, eligibility on the award letter,
1: so gotcha. it's and
0: kind of a combination of the two.
2: And that brings us to a great you know point, which is what about parents? So you know, parents are always helping with um, with loans, and not all the loans these days are going right to the students. Parents are often taking out loans. So what do parents borrow to help an undergraduate?
0: Sure. Yeah. There's there's the, the federal parent. It used to, it used to be well, it's called the PLUS loan. It used to stand for parent loan for undergraduate student. Now it's just called the PLUS loan. And uh, parents can borrow on that loan program. And whereas the, the loan limits are kind of low for the federal direct loan that the student can borrow, the parents can borrow just Lots of money. Now, I'm not suggesting that they do. I'm Thanks. not encouraging that. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, if yeah. the school if the school costs sixty grand a year and the parent wants to borrow sixty grand a year, they can do that. Um, but there is a small credit component associated with it. Whereas the federal direct loan that the students borrow, no credit component. The students eligible for it, they want it, they got it. The uh, parent plus loan, the federal plus loan. There's a small credit component. It's not a regular credit check. They don't look at your FICO scores or debt to income ratio. But they do pull your credit and as long as you don't have any adverse credit history, you can borrow up to the total cost of attendance minus any other financial aid the students receiving.
2: Nice. Okay, so that's, so there's a lot of options out there and it would seem that it's just as simple as you look at the rates and go at the low rates, but you know, there's probably some more complexity there. Um, and that's what you're here to tell us. So how did students and parents actually choose the right program for them?
0: yeah that's a great question you know there are there is a lot more than just rates if if you were just comparing rates it'd be really easy um, but uh, there are times when maybe there's some other things that you would want to consider other than rates like um, you know is there a, a prepayment penalty let's say you're looking at a, a private alternative loan and you're saying you know do I borrow a a federal plus loan, or do I borrow the private alternative loan? Um, and, you know, maybe the private alternative loan, if you have really great credit, they might have, you know, pretty low interest rates, but uh, there might be some prepayment penalties so that you can't pay it off early, whereas the federal loans do have, you know, there's no prepayment penalties for them. Um, you might have some, and, and you get some extra benefits on the federal loans that you don't get on the, the private loan. So, you know, it's, just comparing interest rates, probably not the, the best that, um, let's say you say, um I'm, I'm more interested in a loan that offers me some cancellation opportunities or, or some forgiveness opportunities. A federal loan will do that, whereas the, the private loan won't. So if you're going, let's say you're going into the right. public service industry or, or in law enforcement or something, it would absolutely make more sense to get a federal loan, even if it, if it is at a slightly higher interest rate, so, because you would have public service loan forgiveness options after ten years, as opposed to a private loan with maybe a slightly lower interest rate, where you wouldn't be able to uh, to you know have that loan forgiven, you'd have to pay on it until it's paid in full. Gotcha. Okay. Lots of diff- yeah, lots of different options when you're thinking about when you're trying to compare loans. It's not not always as simple as just the interest rate.
2: And what about the um, private loans that are out there? I mean, are there how do we look at private loans and, and think about which ones are going to be good, which ones aren't going to be as good? What, what are some of the factors involved there?
0: Oh, that's an excellent question. One of the things that I always recommend is um, something called a uh, co-signer release clause. So uh, mm-hmm. all of these private loans, if the student is trying to borrow it, they're going to need a creditworthy co-signer. And so if you think about it this way, you have a student who's a freshman and they borrow you know, their freshman year and then four years later they graduate and then they have, let's say they pay on that loan for 15 years, that co is going to be on that loan for almost 20 years. Um, whereas, if they have a cosigner release clause that says, you know, after the student makes five, you know, three years of on time payments, we'll release the cosigner. You know, that might be a really big benefit for the cosigner to only be on that loan for, you know, seven years as opposed to nineteen or twenty. So there's there's lots of different intangibles, um, and and. Uh, The state of New York actually put together a private student loan comparison tool. It's at the New York uh, Higher Education Services Corporation, a private student loan comparison tool. Great little uh, tool that offers all information about the different lenders and and their different interest rates and their terms and origination fees. So uh, if you're looking at private loans, that might be a really good place to go.
2: And what about these? uh, The concept of paying while you're in school versus not—is it pretty standard that for student loans you wait until you're out of school to start payment, or is that something you have to be looking for as well?
0: Um, That's pretty standard these days for the the student who borrows. But for the parent who borrows, um, Uh it used to be that they would go into instant repayment, and now the the federal government is allowing even parents to defer uh, the payment on those loans until the student has graduated. So, but just Remember, you know, every time that payment is deferred, the interest keeps accruing. So, um, you know, there are some, you know, deferment options, even while the student is in school, for both the parent and the student, But the interest keeps accruing during that time. So if you can pay the interest while the student's in school, at least the interest, that's probably your best bet.
2: Gotcha. So this is something where parents and students should sit down together. They should really have a conversation about... You know, what's worthwhile in terms of borrowing, and then they can assess these different loans as, as options.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Having that conversation, the two of them, you know, what are the expectations, who's going to borrow, and in what amounts? Um, and even before you borrow, look at what your um, repayment uh, p- amounts are going to be. You know, are you prepared to make $300 a month payments for the next 10 years? You know, make sure you know what the payments are before you borrow.
2: Yeah, that's that's awesome and actually it's a great plug for our show next week because Gene Mahan our our colleague is going to be on answering that exact question which is how much should I borrow for college. Yeah. Um so Tara wait thank for you. That show. <laughs> thank you so much. It seems like every time I host you're on the show, you knock it out of the park. So grateful to have you as a colleague well and back. a guest. Thanks very much.
0: Well, right back at you and thank you.
2: Appreciate it. So that's all for today's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed our extended office hours that you found our Schools Out segment to be useful and somewhat de-stressing. Next week, we'll be opening up office hours once again to answer listener questions and to follow-up on today's application workshop. I'll be back as a guest uh, to talk with Beth Heaton and really looking forward to that part of the show. from all of us at College Coach, we wish you a happy July 4th and the most ideal grilling weather imaginable. It looks perfect outside my window right now. Please remember to be safe around the holiday. Leave the fireworks to the professionals. Enjoy the long weekend.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton,